You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. All right, let's look at the book of Proverbs tonight. Uh, I'm excited about this because we've had a, we've had a break for, for several weeks from what we were going through. Uh, and I'm really thrilled about, as I look through our church on a Wednesday night, I see um, really multi-generations here. And I love this because there are some of you that are currently raising children. How many of you are currently raising kids at home? You've got kids at home right now. Okay, a good number of you are currently raising children. Uh, how many of you, you are empty nesters, all the kids are out of the house? Okay, good. It's a big number of you. All right, everybody said, and did you hear that, parents? They all said, woohoo. Uh, and then how many of you, how many of you have joined the, the, the ranks of the elite and you are grandparents now? All right, grandparents, good number of grandparents. Well, one of the reasons I'm excited about these lessons, we've been, we, we started going through right towards the end of the school year, ways to protect our homes uh, and our families uh, physically and spiritually and emotionally. And tonight we're going we're gonna to jump back into how to protect our homes emotionally. And I want to tell you tonight, I, I've, I've, I've had a week of counseling already. And people are dealing with deep emotional problems today. Depressions, um, anxiety. Um, we're, dealing with, uh, we're dealing with a lot of what the world just wants to label as mental illness. But how many of you know that when God does a work in the believer, he does it through the renewing of the mind. And God, God renews us in the spirit of our mind. We can let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have the power through the Holy Spirit living in us to bring in subjection our thoughts and to bring them into captivity, into obedience to Christ. How many of us would like to take anxious thoughts and bring those thoughts into captivity under obedience to Christ? Every anxiety under obedience to Christ. Don't you think that would change your anxious thoughts? Uh, We have the opportunity through the Holy Spirit to finally think on things that are true and honest and good and virtuous and pure and good report and all of the things that you would see on Fox News. I mean, all of those things, we can think on those things. And, uh, uh, and the Christian can have a renewed mind and he can have a solid mind. And I want to tell you, much of our mental anguish and distress in our world today comes from the brokenness of the family. Uh, there's a brokenness in our homes today. And so I want to help us protect our children, our wives, our husbands, protect our homes emotionally. And the Bible has so much to say about this. And what, I'm, what I love about the fact that we have a multi-generation in here is because some of you are currently raising kids and you need this in parenting. Some of you, your kids are already out of the house, but you have children preparing for marriage and you can begin to help them from a role of uh, an influence One of the things that I've prayed for with my children as they get older is that I would not lose the influence in their life. And uh, as as our kids have gotten older, my wife and I are so thankful that when they were little, we made a decision to be their parents when they were little so we could be their friends when they were older. And we have influence into their lives. And I love when our kids will just pick up the phone and call us just to talk. And we get to just talk, and then they'll ask questions about certain things in their life, or this is going on with the grandbaby. And we get to have an opportunity to share um, 
advice. The other thing that I'm thrilled about is that we have older people in our church who have been serving the Lord. And, and this information does not pass you. Don't, don't think of this as irrelevant because we have younger families that we want God to bring to this church. And he is bringing to our church. And the Bible model is older teaching younger. And one of the things that I want to see at Front Range through the years is older Christians attaching to younger believers and teaching them what the Word of God says with individual relationship and discipleship and influence and friendships, being able to pass on the old wisdom of the Word of God into the lives of, these, of this generation. And so don't think as we're going through this, well, I've already raised my kids. Well, you might have. But there's a generation around you that are raising children that God can put you in a position to be a friend to and a counselor to and encourager to. And so you want that wisdom. You want to store up wisdom in your heart so that you have a well of of riches that you can draw from to give others as they're as they're helping uh, raise their children. Um, We we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about what modern psychologists refer to as ACEs. Um, that is adverse childhood experiences. <laughs> I just thought it was childhood, <laughs> but they refer to it as adverse childhood experiences. And truthfully, there are some that are much more adverse than others. There are some kids who are going through some things. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, you sit down with people and you get into the middle of what young people are going through in their lives. And it's unthinkable. And it'll break your heart of people in our community that are dealing with abuse and neglect and addictions. Um, There are all sorts of things that come. Um, These adverse childhood experiences can be such things as a divorce, kids going through divorce. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy as a pastor through the years is I've heard people say, well, you know, kids are resilient. And I think in my heart so often, well, yeah, they have to be. What choice do they have? Um, they didn't have a choice in this, and then they have to just deal with going through that. But maybe there's a death of a parent or of a friend or of a sibling. Uh, those are tra- very, very traumatic things for kids to go through. Or maybe there's a, a, a major illness that comes in the family. Dad gets cancer. Mom, mom is diagnosed with a debilitating disease. Uh, or a sibling is disabled. Um, there's all sorts of things that they can go through, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, I read a report uh, here a couple of months ago that shocked me, and I've, I've looked into it a little bit more, but um, there, are, there are statistics out there that are saying that in the neighborhood of eight, uh, eight out of ten girls are sexually abused in some way or, or fashion before they reach um, 18. And I just I, I think about how prolific that is in our society today. Um, and, and we, want to, uh, we want to help our young people. There are, there's a war, a sin war, against our homes and our families. And so uh, people who go through some of these types of things that are so adverse, divorce, death, disease, uh, abuse, some of these things, they, they have uh, a higher experience of, of bad behaviors, whether it's drugs and alcohol, promiscuous living, um, there are some there are some kids that when they when they have been sexually abused, they they 
see that as an avenue for love and connection or they confuse that and then they become very promiscuous with their life and they become abused over and over and over and over again. And these are things that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ came to set us free from. Aren't you thankful that there is a God in heaven who has made a way of grace to come into such defiled places in this world and to change hearts? Well, let me just tell you, Christians, that ought to be the atmosphere of our homes. The grace in our homes. And we need to have children who understand the love of God and that they can overcome trouble through the time-honored and proven way of following God's word. Man, we need a revival and just, just purely getting back into the Bible and following what God said from dad down to the children. And so let me tell you what God says. I'm going to just quickly review to you, but look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1. This is uh, Solomon talking to his son, and he says in chapter 1 here, the proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. Listen, the world is looking for equity today. The world is looking for justice today. Well, if there's no truth and judgment, then there's no justice and equity. There has to be truth and judgment. And the book of Proverbs is going to lay out God's truth, God's judgment. In other words, the the judgment here is referring to discernment. The ability to discern between good and evil, right and wrong. The, The ability to discern between good, better, and best. God's going to give us a way to judge. You know, the, the, the most quoted verse in the Bible today, it used to be 50 years ago, John 3.16. But the most quoted verse in the Bible today is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, uh, judge not, lest you be not judged. And everybody says, well, you're not supposed to judge me. Well, that's not true at all. Jesus, Jesus told us to judge. Not, not to judge with condemnation. That, that's all being committed into the hand of Christ. But we are to judge or make a judgment between good and evil and right and wrong. And, and we're living in an age today where there are very few people who want to call right, right and wrong, wrong. In fact, the greatest sin in our society today is naming sin as sin. When you call sin, sin, man, you're in trouble. Uh, you ought to read some of my emails on a Monday morning after people have heard a message maybe online, and I can't believe you said that. Uh, but, you know, uh, I had somebody who challenged me on when I talked about Pride Month and how the world is celebrating a sinful behavior. And I said, well, how, how, why, what, that's, that's so bigoted to call it sin, and it's not. It's not. It's, it's such a harmful thing to say this is a, a lifestyle that you were born into and you can do nothing to change it and the world is against it and you have to do everything you can to fight the world to make the world accept you as you are. And listen, that's an uphill, horrendous battle. But when you recognize something as sin, you recognize that sin is forgivable and sin is changeable. <laughs> And God can deliver you from that. That's one of the most loving things that you can do to somebody is to give them an understanding of sin. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit looked into my heart and called things in my life sin. I'm glad that I had parents and pastors who called sin in my life sin. Why? Because I could be delivered from that. If it was just, well, I'm sorry, that's just something that's a learned behavior and, and you know, that's just who you are and, and uh, you can't ever do anything about that. Man, aren't you glad that we weren't just confined to a life that we could not be delivered from. 
And so this is what the proverb is talking about, justice and judgment and equity. Um, and by the way, it's not unloving. That's, that's not an unloving atti- attitude. The word of God, truth, is so in, indelibly embedded into love that when you love somebody, you'll tell them the truth. And that's what God's going to do in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse number 4. He says, to give subtlety to the simple and to give the young men knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now let me read a little bit further here in verse 8 and 9. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, for snake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace about thy head and chains about thy neck. Not chains of bondage, but gold chains of adornment and gold chains of value and chains of honor. These things will be about your neck. Here's what he's talking about. Look at verse number eight again. He says, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Forsake not the law of your mother. Uh, Here's what he's talking about. He said, I'm going to teach you these things and I'm going to teach you what this looks like to live it out. Let me tell you how we protect our homes emotionally. First of all, we live out a godly example before our family. You know, one of the most emotionally damaging things that you can do is to say one thing and do another. It brings so much instability and insecurity into the home. You know what kids are long for? Kids long for security. Hey, men, you know what our wives long for? They long for security. I'll promise you this. You take a dog and you put a dog in the backyard of a new home, and that dog is going to run that fence line. He's going to run that fence line. And let me tell you what that dog is looking for. He's looking for any weakness in that fence. Now, he can get out and he can exploit and he he can escape his bondage. Right? They're going to look for that. But do you know what that fence really does? The fence is not there necessarily just to keep the dog in. It's also to keep other things out. There's a boundary, a fixed boundary, and and they're going to look for any weak spot in that. And I'm going to tell you, this is what kids do. Kids look for weak spots, anything they can exploit. And when they find it, they get out. And it breaks their security. They might think that they enjoy that 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 wonderful sense of freedom, but it breaks their sense of security. A father and a mother who are firm in what they say and what they do provide a place of security for the family. They may not like when you say no, but they like when you say no. It breeds in them an emotional security because there is stability. Somebody loves me enough to build the barrier. And so we need to live a godly example. Uh, Look over very quickly at Proverbs 20. And verse number 7, Proverbs 20 and verse number 7. This is one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Here's a picture of a man walking in his integrity and his children following behind him in that kind of a life. And the children are inheriting a blessing from a father walking in integrity. Man, do we not need that today? Do we not need some men who know how to walk in integrity so that they leave clear prints on the path of life for children to follow into the blessing? I'm so grateful for my dad living a life of integrity. My dad always had integrity. What he said, he meant. 
and he meant what he said. And dad was honest. And dad taught us boys to live a life of integrity. Take your responsibilities, own those responsibilities, fulfill your responsibilities. If you say you're going to do something, you better honor your word. And and living that life of self-discipline, self-control, and living that life of integrity. And I want to tell you, there is a blessing on my life today because my father walked a life of integrity. And I've been able to inherit that blessing. And I'm grateful for that. And I want to leave that to my children. Uh, We're supposed to, as parents, demonstrate, model, and show them godly character. I wrote some things down years ago when my kids were little, and I thought these are some things that I don't know where my kids would ever go to learn these things. So I want them to learn them at home. here's, Here's just a little piece of my list. But these are some character traits that I wanted to live out in my life. Contentment. You know, most of these character traits are more caught than taught. You know, we live in a very discontent society. People cannot be pleased today with anything. By the time the newest phone comes out, there's something newer out there. And there's always this idea of, I got to have more things. And by the way, the world system was built on that. All that is in the world, 1 John 2, all that is in the world, this world system, all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes. That's what I can have. Uh, The lust of the flesh, that's what I can do. And the pride of life, that's what I can be. The world is full of things to have and things to do and things to be. Not all of them are sinful. But the whole world is built on this thing of to desire things to do, to desire things to be, and to desire things to have. That's the, the whole basis of Satan's world system. And by the way, he provides all these things to have, to do, and to be that are outside of what God has provided for us to do and to have and to be. Think about this. That world system started in Genesis chapter 3. When the serpent came to Eve and he said, Eve, have you eaten of this tree? Did the Lord say that you can't eat of this tree? Well, yeah. Yeah, but the Lord knows that in the day you eat thereof. See, there's something you have not done. You've eaten of all the other trees, but there's one thing you haven't done. You've not eaten of this tree. See, there's something left for you to do. In the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open. There's some things for you to have that you've never had before. There's some things for you, to, uh, for you to possess that you've never possessed before. Then you shall be as gods. You know, there's something you could be, Eve, that you're not. Now, wouldn't you like to be more like God? You know, our, our, first, our first father's sin was not a step down. It was a step up. He, was, he fell up. He was, they were trying to be more like God. You know, Satan's a liar, isn't he? And he's built his whole world system on things to do, things to see and have, and things to be. Let me tell you something. Solomon fell for that hook, line, and sinker, didn't he? Solomon, who wrote this book of Proverbs, fell for that. Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's not anything that I withheld for myself. I went after pleasure. I went after, I went after wisdom. I went after knowledge. Uh, there's, I, I did not hold myself back from anything that I wanted. I had it all. Solomon married these women to make leagues with other nations so that he could have more power in the world. There was no one as powerful, no one as as wealthy, and no one as pleasurable as Solomon. The man had more pleasure, he had more power, and he had more possessions than anybody that's ever lived. And then when he wrote in in Ecclesiastes 2.17, 
As an old gray-haired man, he walked off that ivory throne overlaid with gold, past those overlaid beautiful marble steps and lions on each side. He walked into the kingly chamber and he sat down and he looked in that mirror and he took that crown off that gray head and he looked at that wrinkled face and he said, therefore, I hated life. I've chased what I could have, what I could, what I could be, and what I could do. I've done it all. I've had it all. I've been it all. And I hate it. Because I chased everything that God didn't want me to have. I, I got everything that God didn't want me to be. And I've done everything God didn't want me to do. Jesus said it this way. If all that's in the world are things to do, things to have, and things to be, and we can achieve it all, Jesus said it this way. What would a man be profited if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? You know, what I want to have is what God wants me to have. You know where I'm going to find joy is when I possess what God wants me to possess, when I am what God wants me to be, and when I do the things that God has called me to do. That's where I find joy. And you know what? You know where a lot of that falls? It falls into contentment. Somebody finish the verse for me. But godliness with is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to be wealthy? You be godly and you be content with such things as you have. Contentment. Contentment is not just complacency. Contentment is, is, is the ability to be satisfied with what God has provided. Not wanting more than what God has said. And you know, one of the things that scares me about new Christians is they'll go to work with people who never took time to witness to them until they come to work and talk about they got saved. And they're like, oh, well, you ought to come to our church. We get a second blessing. We speak in tongues. We have all these other things. And there's a lot more to this than what, well, where were you before when I was lost? Mr. Moore, and there are so many people out there that want more than what God is offering. Can I tell you something? You can't ever have more than what God's offering because what God is offering is all you need. And we need to learn to be content. Where are our kids going to learn to be content in this world? You tell me what institution in this world is going to teach us contentment. They're going to learn that at home. I wrote down years ago, I wrote down contentment. Then I wrote down courage. Where do they learn courage? Where do they learn courtesy? You think the public schools are going to teach our kids how to be courteous? Courteous? Uh, courtesy. How about discernment? Where do they learn the character trait of discernment? Being able to, to discern between good and evil. How about generosity? Hey, that's a, that's, a, that's a taught character trait in the world today, isn't it? Hey, give. Be generous to other people. Give. No, the world's not in to give. How about gentleness? How about helpfulness? How about honesty? You know, there's one thing that I, that I there, there were two main things in our home that we never tolerated. And number one was lying. We never tolerated lying. If you lie to me, if you lie to me, you're going to have the wrath of dad come down. You know why? Because Satan is the father of the lie. And he became a murderer because he abode not in the truth. If you'll lie, you're susceptible to anything else. I never tolerated lying. And the second thing was we never tolerated disrespect towards a parent or towards each other. Uh, our, our girls fought like everybody else fought. But let me tell you, you better fight fair. <laughs> and you better respect 
And uh, there were a lot of things that we could, over, that we could overlook or we could, we could correct and we could discipline in different ways. But the two things that brought, that brought everything to a standstill was lying and disrespect. And uh, honesty. Be honest. Uh, where are they going to learn kindness? Where are they going to learn obedience? I remember my wife, God bless her. I remember my wife, when our girls were really little, they were learning to walk. And I remember her with Deanna. She had a little paddle. She had a little wooden spoon. And, uh, and, and she would tell Deanna to do something. Deanna wouldn't do it. And whoosh, first time. <laughs> you know, the first time. Whoosh, you know, first time, first time, first time. And I'll tell you one, they got, they got a lot of little, they got a lot of little whoopings. Uh, little, and by the way, I tested it out later with them, with every one of our girls. My wife would thump them on the diaper with that, with that wooden spoon, boom, and say, first time, and boy, they'd try, don't you do that first time, you listen to me. And they'd cry like they'd been murdered. I'd come home and play with them, and I'd hit them a lot harder than that and fun. They'd laugh and giggle. It wasn't the spanking that they were crying about. It was that rebellion in the heart. Don't tell me no. And uh, uh, we never abused our children, but I will tell you this. Uh, there was that rod of correction, that, that, that no. First time. You do it the first time. You do it the first time. I want to tell you, uh, we learned uh, when you do that when they're little, when you're beginning that process of, of teaching them to obey the first time, it saved us a lot of problems when they were 15. Uh, we, we didn't have to do a lot of spanking with our kids when they were five, six, seven, eight, and nine, because they knew first time <laughs> we're, you're going to get it. Uh, but it starts with obedience. And then I wrote down orderliness, to be orderly, to, to make sure that you take care of your property and keep things in order. Your room should be nice and tidy. And uh, we, we taught them patience. We taught them persistence. Don't stop until the work is done. Self-control. Tact. A thankfulness. Tidiness. Wisdom. And now, where, now where are they going to learn these kind of things? Are they going to learn these at the public school? Are they going to learn these uh, in society today? No, no. Uh, they're going to learn them at home. From godly examples. It's hard to teach your kids to be kind if you're not kind. It's hard to teach your kids orderliness if you're not in order. It's hard to teach our children to be generous when you're not giving. Uh, so we've got to make sure that we set a godly example for our kids. Boy, that, that protects emotional well-being in the home when they see godly examples uh, who are not just saying, do as I say and not as I do. And number two, Unconditional love. Uh, what, what's going to protect our homes? Unconditional love. Look over at Proverbs chapter 4, really quick. Look at Proverbs 4. And look at verse number 1. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsaking not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Now watch this. This is what King Solomon said. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart Retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Notice what, notice what the Bible says here. He said, I was my father's son, tender and only beloved. And what was my father after? He was after my heart. Notice what Solomon said. It was, he, notice that he described his parents as tender and only beloved. 
Uh, this is a wonderful example of a home with unconditional love. Let me tell you what unconditional love does. Unconditional love does not give them everything they want, but it gives them everything they need. Uh, some parents overcome guilt by just giving their kids everything they want. Well, that's a dangerous thing. We don't give them everything they want. We give them everything they need. Sometimes they don't know they need it. But unconditional love is really unconditional acceptance. Not of the behavior, but of the person. I accept you and I love you, but I don't accept what you're doing. I'm always going to love you no matter what. But I'm not always going to accept what you're doing. And th- by the way, that's a, f- that's a fine line that parents have got to learn how to accept their children. Every kid needs to feel the acceptance. Husbands and wives need to feel accepted from each other. This, this nurtures emotional health and well-being. They need to know, kids need to know that they can come to you no matter what. That they can come to you with anything because you accept them for who they are and they can talk to you about very difficult things without you being mad at them. This is where unconditional love comes in. And I want to tell you, uh, again, I'm so grateful for a godly wife. When my kids, when my girls were getting up near the age where they were, where they were coming into uh, maturity and coming through all the changes that girls go through, I remember my wife saying, we need to have some talks. And I said... Have at it. And she said, no, 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 Kimasabi. We need to have some talks. And I'm so grateful for a wife who encouraged me and helped me. And we did study and we read the word of God and we prayed. And we realized the parents all through the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible teaches parents on how to teach their children about intimacy and about sexuality. The book of Proverbs is a father teaching his child about the pleasures and dangers of, of, of sex and how God made it and what's wonderful and what's, what's damaging. And these all come from parents to children. And we sat down with our girls. I'm so grateful that one-on-one, lovingly, carefully, appropriately, biblically, directly, and honestly, we... we armed them with knowledge that they needed. I want to tell you something very quickly. Parents, listen very carefully. God is a God of secrets. Job said, the oldest book in the Bible, Job said in Job 29, Oh, that I were as in months past, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. David said in Psalm 91, He that abideth under the shadow of the Almighty Abideth in the secret place. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you, go, when you pray, enter into your closet. When you've closed the door, your Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. Let me tell you something about secrets. Secrets that we share with each other tie the strongest heartstrings. The secrets that we keep from each other break the strongest heartstrings. Intimacy is in sharing the secrets. God wants to know you in an intimate, in a secretive way. In fact, do you understand that in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, that there is a passage of Scripture that blows my mind. The Bible says, To him that overcometh will I give a white stone, upon which is a name which no man knoweth but the Father. Let me tell you something. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a stone with a name on it, and you don't get to know my name. It's a nickname that God's going to call. And when I'm in heaven with billions of saints... 
I'm going to hear a whisper. And he's going to whisper my name that only I know. And it's God wanting to spend time with me. And he's going to know me as no man knows me. That's a secret of God. And can I tell you something, parents? Those are the secrets that we need with our children. There needs to be building an intimacy where we can accept them and they can trust us and we can build things in their lives where they can come to us with anything because we accept them. Uh, I'm so grateful that we did that. I remember talking to my kids, said, listen, now, mom and dad, we, we have children. We've been married. We know all about this. Your friends don't know about this. I said, after we've had this talk about these kind of things, do you want to go talk to this about school? No. Are you comfortable talking about this? No. I said, you know why? Because you understand it. And you understand that it's an intimate, private, secret thing. It's a personal thing between you and the husband God's going to give you one day. You don't want to go blab this to your friends. Right. I said, so if you have a friend at school blabbing about this, what does that tell you? They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, they're not giving information. They're looking for information. And if they're looking for information, they're doing it in a way that they're spreading bad information to all the other kids who don't know. So if you hear things and you've got a question, come talk to us. Man, I, little did I know. I'm stirring coffee one morning, and one of my girls is like, Dad, what is, you know, <laughs> well, sweetheart, <laughs> where did you hear that? Is that bad information, Dad? Yeah, that's bad information. Okay, that's it. Uh, but let me, I'm just saying, I'm thankful that they were able to come and say, hey, Dad, can we talk about this? Yeah, we can talk about that. Or when they came and said, hey, Dad, I did something I shouldn't have done. And I know that you're going to be disappointed. And I've had a lot of those talks with my kids saying, Dad, I, I did something. And I'm sorry. And they came and we corrected it and we disciplined it and we, we dealt with it. But they knew that they were accepted. That's an unconditional love. Listen, you got to, to, to have unconditional love in your home, you have, to, you have to have acceptance and you have to have affection. You gotta, you gotta hug and touch and man, even those teenage boys that don't like it, just hug them. Yeah, hug them. And uh, maybe not in front of their friends, but listen, hug them. And uh, it's a joy. My girls, they got older. Oh, dad, but I'd hug them and kiss them. And let me tell you, that affection is a wonderful thing. Um, number uh, number three. This is, we'll close on this, we'll go to prayer. But number three, how do, you, how do you protect your home emotionally? Constant encouragement. Constant encouragement. Look at Proverbs chapter three, uh, verse 21. Look at this. My son, verse 21, Proverbs three. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck then shalt thou walk in the way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of desolation of the wicked, when it 
cometh, for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. You know what this dad is doing here? He's encouraging them that if you walk in this way, these are the things that are going to happen. He's encouraging him to stay in the way, to keep these things because God is going to keep him. Uh, listen, uh, our, our Heavenly Father wants to bless us. We ask our Heavenly Father to bless us. And you know what encouragement is? Encouragement is fathers blessing their children. It's putting a blessing in their life. Um, this is exactly what Solomon is teaching here. My son, I'm encouraging you to do these things. Kid, kids need encouragement like plants need water. One of the things that I, I, tell, I tell this to our school teachers, and, and they do such a great job with this, and, and Mr. Boggs does as, as well, but, and, and we try to do this in our home. Try to catch your kids doing right rather than just always catching them doing wrong. Uh, find out when they, when, they, when they do this on the playgrounds, that, man, I saw how you helped that kid up. I'm proud of you. Hey, I saw how that kid was kind of having a hard time, and you went and helped him. I'm so proud of you. Hey, I saw how you wanted to punch that kid, and you didn't do it. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> anyway, but, 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 but encourage them. Encourage them. Catch them doing right. Um, don't confuse encouragement with praise. There's a fine line in this, but sometimes we can praise them. Man, I'm proud of you. You got all A's. Or, uh, man, you're a really good athlete. You really did good on the basketball court today. Well, sometimes that can translate to them. I'm proud of you for what you do and what you accomplish. Encouragement is not just praise for what they've done or what they've accomplished. Encouragement is I'm proud of you. I'm I'm thankful for you and who you are. Even if you're not my A student, you're my C student. Man, you really gave, you studied hard for that test. And I know it didn't come out the way you wanted it to, but let me tell you, you worked hard for that. And I saw that. And I'm proud of that. That's, that, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm encouraging you. Um, that's a, th- there's a subtle difference in that, but there is a distinct difference in it. Uh, be careful that one says, I love you for you. The other says, I love you for what you achieved. You know, sometimes as parents, if we're not careful, we, we want to live our lives out through our kids. You know, I want them to be the best cheerleader. I want them to be the best athlete. I want them to be the best straight-A student. I want to live my life back out through their, through their life. And encouragement helps us to see them for who they are. And we pay attention to their giftings and to who that, person, who that kid is in the family. By the way, husbands and wives need this. Hey, when's the last time you said to your husband and wife, hey, I'm just so thankful for you. You've been the biggest help in my life. I'm so glad God gave you to me. I love you for you, not just what you do, not just what you provide, but I'm grateful for you and your character and what you are and the person you are. We, we need to speak those words. Listen, we need to speak those words. Uh, those are incredibly important, constant encouragement. Constant encouragement. All right, we're going to stop there tonight, okay? i got a lot more to go. Hey, we only got through one page. I've got four more to go on this same thing. So we'll have to be back next Wednesday night, all right? And we'll jump into it. And listen, my prayer is this, that those that are raising children will get this. Those that have raised their children will, will store up wisdom to help their children as they raise their children, that we can pass things on to the next generation. I've already learned as my kids have gotten older, I've learned some really big deficiencies that we had in our home and that I had as a dad. Big things that I missed. 
And, and I want to help my kids harness all the good that they had from growing up, but also to avoid some of the mistakes that we made. And I'm, I'm, in, that, I'm in that level of parenting now where I'm trying to influence that. And then for older families in our church to be able to encourage younger families um, how, to, how to raise our children. That's what we need to do as a church. Would everybody agree with that? That's what we need. Uh, so there are some younger families that would really be encouraged if some older families said, hey, why don't you come over and bring the brats, I mean bring the kids, and, uh, and let them come over and get to know you a little bit. I know kids can be noisy and loud, uh, but that's, that's why we have Advil for when they leave. Um, you know, my, my wife's parents, I never understood it, but my wife's parents always said the most beautiful holiday lights are the headlights coming up the driveway and the taillights going down the driveway. <laughs> and so, but young people need encouragement. They need encouragement. And older people have to step in. I hear so many older people in the church say, I just don't know what I can do anymore. I just don't have any value in the church. I can't do what I used to do. Oh, a thousand times over, you're wrong. You've actually become more valuable now than the person who can do all the work around the church because you have years of wisdom and experience, things that you can come into the lives of others and love them and speak wisdom into their life. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Be a part of that, okay?